hold music is still just my <laughs> favorite yeah I know that sounded sarcastic but it actually is not I like I'm really sad you're on the line now <laughs> I mean I could disconnect and we could try again we'll let it go longer <laughs> yeah maybe I'll just like set it up to record like as I'm going to sleep and then I'll just like listen to it all night long <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's one way to do it um well welcome to take two of <laughs> the cat or new shakespeare yeah also welcome back to paranormal captivity mm-hmm. this is our second episode well it's our numerous attempt at it's our 2.5 two couple... two yeah. yes it's our 2.5 we did try to talk about the cat who knew shakespeare once already and between technical difficulties and our the difficulties within our own brains, we were thinking maybe we'd try again. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a learning curve. It's, you know, baby's first podcast, so <laughs> still figuring out how to make sense. I'd also like to lay a little bit of the blame on Lillian Jackson Braun, because she truly did not make The Cat Who Knew Shakespeare the easiest book to follow. No, and I went back and made myself a timeline, and I, like, broke it down by chapter, and it still doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of liked what you did last time, where you were like, here's just a list of things that maybe don't matter what order they go in, but here are some things. I also thought it would be good to start with the, like, official overview, like, back of the book type overview. Oh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can do a dramatic reading of that because it's pretty great <laughs> and has some cat puns in it. <laughs> yeah, I, we should get into blurbs. We should really be blurbing these because <laughs> I made a note that we should definitely read at the end, the cat who talked to ghosts blurb. So we should definitely, oh, okay. um, get on this. So yes, I would love to know your, or hear your dramatic reading of the blurb of the cat who knew Shakespeare. Okay, great. So this is from online from a, I think this is Barnes and Noble. It's just like whatever popped up as it's probably just what's on the back of the book. But it says overview, the cat who knew Shakespeare, the cat who series number seven by Lillian Jackson Braun. So it actually gives it a number. It's number seven. You know, and that's so interesting because I am holding the physical book in my hand and there is no number on it. Like (laughs) nowhere is there information on this and we should say too so it is number seven we so we did the cat who saw red first for our first episode um that is i believe technically book three but because these books are apparently on uh, barnes and noble they do have an order and they do kind of you can tell like things progress as they as they go but we're kind of skipping around we're going sequentially but we're skipping a few in the middle uh, like in between books because there's a thousand and we don't want to read <laughs> we have so many other cat mystery books that we want to get to we just we want to sort of you know give give an overview of the cat who and then go go to different things and maybe revisit the cat who we want to we want to leave our options open we want to be flexible when it comes to our cat murder mysteries 
Yeah, basically we're too excited and want to do all of things all at the same time. And so we're being impatient and it's <laughs> blazing, so true. Through, blazing through the series <laughs> without hitting all of them. It's so true. We're such jerks. <laughs> but in our defense, none of these really have... You know what? I think that's actually... So basically part of our whole conceit here is that we we are in the cozy mystery genre which technically um, a lot of the times involves a um, uh, the pairing of cats and true crime but it also involves like you know recipes and true crime or like cozy mystery the idea of it is that it's like usually set within a small town it's kind of like the hallmark channel of mysteries if you will um Mm -hmm. but that seems to be i actually was just at the elia the other day my my local bookstore my used bookstore that i love um where i get all of these cat who books for about 250 a piece and i scribble in the margins and it's great but i actually just bought a number of different there's another series that I really want to get into. There's not, I actually found another one too that I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Like I bought a bunch of different Uh ones and it's so interesting because none of those have book numbers on them either. So I wonder if it's just a thing that it's like, you don't have to read these in any particular order. You can do whatever you want. Or they're just trying to be extra mysterious. It's like an extra mystery layered (laughs) on top of the mystery in the book. What number is this? You're not going to know. You'll never know. Well, if that's the case, then we're already failing. (laughs) (laughs) We're just, we had to be like a little extra detective-y to find it though. That's true. We did. And you can, I mean, you can definitely find the, the, um, the actual sequential order of these books online too. Yeah. Um, um, Okay. I'm so sorry. I derailed everything already. Uh, That's okay. (laughs) Back to your dramatic reading. I'm going to follow along on the back of my book and see if it's the same thing. Okay. So in this installment of the New York Times best-selling The Cat Who series, there's something rotten in the small town of Pickaxe. I already love it. It's already the same as my book. Yes, perfect. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) At least to the sensitive nose. Nose is. Oh, sorry. How dare you? Newspaper man. Newspaper man Jim (laughs) Quillerin and his Siamese cats, Coco and Yum Yum. An accident has claimed the life (laughs) of the local newspaper's eccentric publisher, but to Quillerin and his feline friends, it smells like murder. You're killing me here. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) They soon sniff out a shocking secret, but Coco's snooping into an unusual edition of Shakespeare may prove cat (laughs) a I hate it and love it so much. Because somewhere in Pickaxe, a lady loves, not wisely but too well, a widow <laughs> is scandalously married. Married with an E, not married with an A, not married, married. Like That's true. Abby. Like the That's drink and be married. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quitter, uh, that's what this whole book hinges on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. A uh, stranger has a lean and hungry look. The stage is set for Quillerin, Coco, and Yum Yum, and the second act of Murder Most oh. Meow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was really holding back that laugh because I was like, if I laugh over this meow part, I'm just going to hate myself later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just so good. Like, I, there's nothing in that that I don't 100% just love to death. <laughs> yeah it was, it was pretty good oh it's just so good and actually on the back of this i don't know if it says on your little blurb where you are too uh, this might just be for the book but um this has over three million oh 
this is over three million Lillian Jackson Braun mysteries in print, which I guess I would believe between uh, the thirty books because yeah. she's she has like over thirty books, so that makes sense. Yeah, but, but that's still a lot each. I mean, decent, I don't have thirty. Yeah, that is a decent number. I mean, I certainly yeah. don't have three million books in print, so <laughs> I tip my hat to you, Lillian Jackson Braun. Yeah. Okay. Should we? Oof! I'm like nervous to get back into this timeline of looping <laughs> circumstances. Of what the hell happened in this book we don't oh. know <laughs> you know it is interesting i'm so glad we did this reading we I, i'm so glad i listened while you did this reading because it does kind of break down like what she thinks is the main theme and i don't really mean that to be mean yeah. i just am like no, no no yeah i thought the same thing when i read it i was like oh there's things in here that i did not find important at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and it kind of gives you like a little bit of a look into like I mean obviously through the theme like then what Quillerin's like mindset is Mm because as we I think discussed before so Quillerin basically pokes his nose into a lot of different things here that we're kind of like you're just a busybody like what are you doing but I think reading the blurb on the back it kind of makes more sense that like what we maybe didn't initially see as like very mysterious I think is supposed to look maybe more mysterious potentially yeah so yeah I agree so on the back of the book it's like oh this accident happened which it did happen in the first chapter of the book Mm -hmm. and then you know but to Quillerin and his feline friends it smells like murder like I didn't feel like they were really you know they had a little bit of a like hmm something doesn't seem right but it wasn't like a wait a second this could be murder you know it was just them being nosy like you said but then again to play oh I was gonna try to make a cat pun on devil's advocate but I just couldn't get there fast enough (laughs) (laughs) to play feline's advocate oh my god I did it Give me the praise I deserve. Okay, yes. oh. oh no. Um, yeah, oh, I'm bad no. at puns too. I j- I literally just lost the actual thought that I had behind that. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I remember. Um, to play feline's advocate here, um, Coco is so basically the crux of this book is Coco is knocking books of Shakespeare's plays off of Quillerin's shelf. And he's doing that from the very beginning, Coco is. Like, that yeah. happens in, like, the first couple pages. But they don't make any connections to what's going on until, like, the last sentence of the book. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> Hello? Am I drunk? I am drinking wine. <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, okay, so maybe we should start from the beginning. Okay, yeah. So we did <sighs> mention the accident. And it does say in the overview, the local newspaper's eccentric po- eccentric eccentric how do you say that word <laughs> eccentric oh my god we're, are we both yeah, drunk it... are we both illiterate <laughs> it's really unclear i am drinking whiskey right now so oh, perfect well cheers from afar i cheers from afar mine's a little harder than yours so i'm probably gonna slur a little bit more. <laughs> well i can refill i'll try to lap you in the middle <laughs> okay yeah so chapter one it does say in the overview the local newspaper's eccentric publisher mm-hmm, um mm-hmm dies and so that is probably where we should start yes um so i have in my little notes chapter one we meet junior's family uh-huh yes the um, good winter the good winter family of pickaxe yes. in moose county which we yes. don't really know a state but we do know that it is very far north and like really close to the canadian border like, yeah, pretty much canada and the really great uh little other aspect of the the local lexicon there is that they call everywhere else in the united states 
down below which Mm -hmm. that is a good note to make because that threw me off like trying to imagine like okay down below is Chicago okay down below is Minneapolis okay no down below is New York and it is I mean it's truly all of those places (laughs) it's all of them at different times yeah Yeah. which isn't explained until the next book also spoiler alert we're reading the next book but they do explain that in the next book but she uses it in previous books in which she's not explain it <laughs> which then also goes back to the theory that i'm gonna just hold to forever until i'm proven wrong that you can read these books at any point and it doesn't really matter that's true although i will say we're reading this book because i started reading the next book and was like i don't know who the fuck these people are we need to go back one <laughs> That's true because, uh, spoiler alert, the ne- in the next book, it is heavily based on a lot of the characters that are maybe not introduced in this one, but that heavily like feature in this one. So I, I am really glad you're, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I am really glad that we had this as a background to read the next one. I just really wanted to go to the next one because it's called The Cat Who Talked to Ghosts. And I clearly was like, I need to know everything about. <laughs> and I know, part of me knows that it's not actually going to be, it's, there's going to be some logical answer to it. And maybe it's not going to be an actual ghost, but there is just the core of me that just truly wants that so bad yeah i'm sure there's another something out there where we can get our paranormal fix and there will be an actual ghost that's true yeah that's a a really good point this we're just towing the waters here and then we're gonna go full force into yeah the more paranormal cat murder mysteries paranormal captivity murder mysteries (laughs) paranormal captivity (laughs) get the name in there um, okay, so anyway, to continue with chapter one, we meet Junior's family. Junior is somewhat of a main character in this story, and he is the local paper's eccentric publisher's son, who is working yes. for the paper basically for free because we find out that his family is broke, except for his grandmother. Yeah, and she has like potentially bailed them out a couple times, then was like, I'm tired of doing this. And so, yeah, the newspaper continues to be broke and Junior continues to work for, yeah, basically free for his dad, who I think is still the, like, acting publisher at the time. Yeah. And so they talk a little bit about, actually, I don't remember, they, I don't think they talked a little bit about the family curse. They do talk a little bit about the family curse in later chapters. I'm not sure it was this one, but I had it mentioned because I remembered it and it made sense to go with talking about the newspaper and the family being broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, apparently the family is like somewhat cursed and like people have had accidents in the past. People have died, ancient relatives and whatnot, and the newspaper has never done well. Yeah. Um, so they talk about that a little bit and then Junior and Quillerin go to a party down below or Mm -hmm. somewhat of a soiree of some sort yeah i would call it a soiree and a journalistic soiree yeah uh so they were there for a little bit and then quillerin makes his dramatic we must go speech i guess i don't know lie (laughs) yeah yeah it's truly a lie and it's truly out of the blue he gets a mysterious call in the middle of this dinner that he has put on for his old uh, colleagues at the Daily Flexion because he no longer works at the Daily Flexion because he has moved to Moose County and Mm -hmm. he yeah he just like hustles Junior out of this dinner and Junior is like super eager because he's this like small town newspaper guy he's meeting all of these big city newspaper men people women and also maybe a cat no the cat is at uh, let's let's be real they're probably all men because this book is really sexist it's true (laughs) yeah it's sadly so 
So sorry, I was getting distracted because there is a newspaper cat at the uh, picnic. <laughs> that one's not until picture. chapter three. No, wait, we meet them in chapter one. Yeah, no, you meet George Allen in chapter one. Oh, you do? Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, when um, Lauren goes to grab Junior, the cat like fluffs its way out the door in the right. staircase or whatever. You're like, oh, who's that? It's yeah, George Allen. George the Allen. Mouser. Yeah, the resident mouser of the pickaxe picayune. He is a fluffy white cat and he lives at the newspaper. Oh, shoot, where were we? The. Oh, Quillerin making a giant mistake by lying to Junior that his dad has died <laughs> and you don't find out until Quillerin has hustled junior from the dinner back to like the plane that they like chartered or whatever and they're like i think in the car like almost back to pickaxe and he's like by the way your dad's died and it's like what <laughs> why did you surprise? let this go for hours <laughs> it's not a fun surprise no yeah so then there this is where things start getting a little bit muddled and the true order of things mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. to get a little fuzzy yeah so, so chapter two starts out with the funeral which is apparently bigger than any they've seen in pickaxe oh that's right because there's like a huge they had just been talking about the funeral procession of like i think it was junior's like great-grandfather maybe something like that anyway it doesn't matter they just been like this funeral party was giant yeah and so then this one was bigger than that last one it had like a longer funeral car line per se per se oh my god hello i cannot speak (laughs) procession that's the one that's the one that's the one yeah so it doesn't seem like Corin goes to the funeral but he like stands out and creepily like ogles the procession as it goes by and then goes home and we meet mrs cobb yes who is the housekeeper Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um important lady (laughs) and so at this point they're like having a little conversation about things they like talk about the funeral they talk about uh, some fancy cat food that got sent over um, oh right yeah which comes up later they talk about coco shoving books off the shelf and Colin's (laughs) like oh yeah he's on a shakespeare kick right now apparently all of these shakespeare books get knocked off the shelf by coco um so that is mentioned we are introduced to quillerin's lady friend who he is about to go on a date on they talk about polly a little bit oh yeah polly polly i think like right when she's introduced too is when my favorite polly quote comes up where she we should also maybe mention backtrack just a bit that quillerin Mm -hmm. since the cat who saw red he has inherited a lot, so he is oh, now yeah. a rich man, at which he is still a, also a grumbling man, because he was <laughs> very grumbling about his life before money, and now that he has money, he is also very unhappy about that for some reason, mm-hmm. too. It's, like, very inconveniencing to him, which as someone who does not have money, I'm, like, great. Love to be inconvenienced <laughs> by that. So he has also inherited, along with this fortune, he's inherited this mansion that is like, I think they're turning it into a museum. It's like just this huge house mm-hmm. that was like, you know, maybe somehow historical within the town of Pickaxe. And he, Quillerin, uh, so he has moved into the, this mansion, but sort of refuses to live in the main house because it's so like, just like aggressively <laughs> like aristocratic to him or like too rich for him. So he actually lives in the garage, ha- apart- the apartment above the garage across the little driveway well, I'm mm-hmm. sure maybe a giant driveway across the big driveway from the main house. And so mm-hmm. this main house has like 
it's just huge. It has like a big conference room where they have a couple of events and it has a library, which they spend a lot of time in. Apparently it has a full bar in the basement too, Mm -hmm. which is only featured slightly in the, in the end. Um, One of my favorite Polly moments is when Polly comes over and they're like, apparently they like to read together because Quiller and just is like obsessed with Polly's voice. (laughs) And so they like read together and Polly's um, family, like she has a family history of, I think English professors or historians of some kind. So she already had a background. She can basically quote Shakespeare, like off the top of her head. And so they're talking about Coco and the Shakespeare uh, plays that he's knocking off the shelves and they start talking about Polly brings it up and is like, do you, do you know much about the history of Shakespeare? Like, who do you think Shakespeare was? Like, do you know that whole like theory of, you know, maybe Shakespeare wasn't necessarily who he, who, you know, history thinks he is. And Quillern just kind of like, I don't know that he actually says anything back. He kind of just like grumbles and listens. And then she is like, you know, I actually think Shakespeare was a woman. And I was like, yes, go Polly. But then Shakespeare is, or Shakespeare, then Quillerin is like, it's just like so he's just an idiot back to her basically like he doesn't really say anything but then you hear his inner or you read his like inner monologue of being like well I just kept quiet or like whatever it was but like Quiller held his tongue and decided not to push the point it was like oh like no that's a great point yeah for uh being a book written by a woman she certainly does a good job of like squashing her own feminine thoughts (laughs) I know yeah it's really sad but there are really cute cats in it and so Coco is knocking books off shelves Mm-hmm. Um, yum yum is just as we were kind of thinking before we think that in this one yum yum just kind of takes a takes a little breather and is maybe the smartest of all of them and like stays inside and is like you guys can go solve the fucking crime I'm fine I'm here <laughs> I'm fine right here you're just being nosy yeah it's true they're so medley and like there's mm-hmm. really at the beginning so the way that Junior's father is supposed to have died is just uh, in a car accident on a on a notoriously dangerous bridge in mm-hmm. the area. So it's like it's kind of like I don't know. It's like a sensitive thing to be meddling in if you're just initially like oh, I think this was foul play, and it's like I don't know. It's just a little sensitive. Yeah. Although to be fair, he wasn't really like directly meddling in any investigations he was just being nosy it's true like That's in true. general yeah he's a nosy bastard yeah he really is so what next so time that we get introduced to polly i think he goes to the library that evening but while he was talking to mrs cobb she was also leaving to go on a date so we get introduced to the idea that she was dating this guy or is dating this guy and quillern kind of like internally grumbles about it because pink guy's like he holds mrs cobb in a very high regard because i mean because she is lovely and wonderful but also because he says numerous times that she spoils him She's a live-in housekeeper, and so she cooks, like, all of his meals, takes care of the cats, takes mm-hmm. care of the house. So he is, you know, sort of, in some ways, I think he's worried about where the relationship will go because then he will have a 9-to-5 housekeeper as opposed to a full-time housekeeper. Yeah, that is true. She is also, so I think in the first or second chapter, it also talks about how Quillerin is, you know, unhappy with his mansion and wants to sign it over and not live in it anymore. So just talking about turning it into a museum and Mrs. Yeah. Cobb is supposed to be the like curator, I guess is the word for it. 
That's right. So yeah. She's going to move into a curator from housekeeper to curator position. And she is the one who actually lives in the like master bedroom because. Oh, that's Logan right. I forgot about that. <laughs> refuses to have it. So it's basically her mansion to begin with. It kind and of she's is. like kind of a badass historian. So she's like really excited about all of the like, you know, antiques and whatever that are in it. It's so true. And Quillerin is just the weirdo who's living in the apartment above the garage and yeah. catching his cats in wicker baskets in the morning and traipsing them across. He daily, twice daily, mm-hmm. catches his cats in a wicker basket and walks them across the driveway to the main house, lets them run around during the day. And then when they go to bed, he puts them back in the wicker basket and takes them back across the driveway. Yeah, he really is like the epitome of a crazy cat lady. <laughs> yeah, it's just true he is. Ugh, oh, Quillerin. So I think the last important-ish, this isn't important, but the last important-ish <laughs> thing that happens in chapter two is that when Quillerin leaves to go on his date with Polly or to go meet her at the library, or I don't know if it's a date, he goes to meet mm-hmm. Polly at the library because she is head librarian. I don't know if that was mentioned yes. before. Oh, yes, that's right. That is where we meet the mysterious, potentially FBI guy. Oh, right, the investigator. Up. Yeah, the investigator shows up into town and who's pretending to be someone else. And Quillerin is immediately suspicious. It's true. He kind of does that thing where, like, you know, it's like that annoying thing where a friend of yours is like, oh, I knew from the beginning. Like, whatever it is. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. Like, fill in the blank. But I can just see him later being like, I knew from the beginning he was suspicious. Which I guess technically he did, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, he, like, was a little bit, but he, like, wasn't anything, like, bad. It was just kind of oh yeah you were there in town okay great doing your own thing <laughs> um yeah he was introduced and yeah. there was a, an element of mystery about him it's true it definitely drums up a little bit of mystery of like and i think that's another thing that adds to the layer of quiller and suspicions about mm-hmm. because it happens right after junior's dad dies and so he's yeah. like well this could be could factor into that in any number of ways chapter three he goes to the old stone mill oh, which right. is a restaurant and we meet up with hixie who That's is a character right. from the cat who saw red right i really like hixie yeah she's great um this is also where lillian jackson brown uses anorexic as a compliment which i found offensive oh god that is very offensive yep yeah yep yep um but you know it seems to fit in the time of probably when these books were written it was probably not seen as offensively back in the day but anyway we meet up with Hixie who apparently has stopped buttering everything now that she's working in the restaurant business she finds food repulsive now and has become oh skinny. my god that is I think that are you like directly quoting because I'm pretty sure that is a direct yeah quote. I'm pretty sure that's like a direct quote <laughs> oh man yeah there are definitely some like clear judgments written through from the writer like that is definitely the case in multiple occasions and definitely not not judgments that I like yeah these are aspects of the book where you know you're you're going along and you're like yeah this is cute this is fun whatever and then you read something like that and you're like no yeah okay now I remember why these books are terrible (laughs) it's truly so jarring like you'll be reading reading along just being yeah you're right kind of like okay okay cats and sure mystery and oh god like it's just thrown in so casually that it's like <laughs> oh man yep okay yeah. so hixie is now she's now a chef yeah so when we're talking with hixie this is where we find out what happened to rosemary who is oh uh, right Quillerin's last love interest from the cat who saw red mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate that they didn't work out because i really liked rosemary she seemed like smart lady 
But Polly is also a pretty smart lady. Polly is also a smart lady. They would do much better together than either of them would <laughs> with Quillerin. I was just going to say neither of them really deserve Quillerin. I mean, Quillerin doesn't deserve either of them. <laughs> yeah, and also neither of them deserve the like horror that is probably a life with Quillerin. That's <laughs> true. It is true. Like the number of like all the interactions that Quillerin and Polly have, like just hearing what is inside Quillerin's head while he's with her is like a true nightmare like it's what i would just it, i'm always suspicious people are like thinking and condescending about me i'm like yeah, well it would be yeah that's true i mean i think i can safely say that i don't want to have a relationship with Quillerin at this point in my life yeah no that's fair i mean he's probably very old if not. i know he's probably 175 <laughs> definitely in his upper upper what would we say 50s 60s ish back when this book was written in the 80s like, yeah i think so yeah definitely probably, probably pretty old by now yeah oh god i got so, sidetracked so hixie the book um, is yeah, problematic so at times we find <laughs> So we find out uh, Rosemary did not get along with Coco, mm. and so that relationship would never last. Yes. So she moved, moved to Toronto and is living there now, and she is not an important part of this story. I just thought it was a nice follow-up from The Cat Who Saw Red, because I was excited about the potential of a Rosemary relationship. Yeah, and the idea that the relationship ultimately did not work because she, that she didn't get along with the cats is also just i feel like truly relatable That's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of this chapter quillerin's at the old stone mill he's talking to hixie they're having a conversation then i think he either gets a call from junior or something something he meets up with junior and junior is distraught because his mom is selling the newspaper and their old like barn house and so that's big news that is big news and all of the old they apparently had a lot of old like printing presses and type yeah, sets like, like and... and antique things in that old barn house and yeah. at the newspaper yeah so junior is talking to quillerin and junior is distraught the newspaper is being sold he wanted to make it his own newspaper and work there for forever so while they're together i think junior's girlfriend calls i don't know something happens i can't really remember how they find out but there is a fire at the newspaper yeah there are there are numerous times throughout the book where jody junior's girlfriend mm -hmm. calls quillerin and is like this is happening like it's, it's new going on yeah it's like numerous times where just like plot is relayed through jody calling quillerin so it might have been Jody one of those is a uh, dental hygienist, by the way. So maybe she just hears things from her patients. That's true. Oh my god, there is that great scene which I totally forgot about. Quillerin goes to like interview her basically when he gets like more suspicious about other things, like farther mm -hmm. down the line, and he goes in to like ask her a couple questions and get a clean, like to get a cleaning, mm -hmm. so he can't ask her questions, which is like the worst most hilarious questions when no <laughs> it's a terrible idea and it like that scene plays out like that like it's really funny yeah so fire at the mill or fire at the yes newspaper. at the end of chapter three it's a big thing everything goes up in flames and that's when we lose track of oh. poor <laughs> fluffy George. poor fluffy mouser oh yeah george allen the cat george it, allen. it was no, now I'm remembering it was a call because Jody calls Quillerin to be like, Junior's been out all night. Cause, oh, because there's also the thing of the, the volunteer fire department. So mm -hmm. numerous characters 
including the man Herb, who Mrs. Cobb oh, is yeah. dating. And then, yeah, they're just a bunch of random characters who keep coming in and out of the plot line that are part of this volunteer fire department. Herb is one of them with Mrs. Cobb's boyfriend. And then um, Junior is also one of them, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think Jody calls Quillerin to be like, oh, the newspaper's on fire and Junior's been out all night. And so they go together to the um, to the fire as mm-hmm. it's burning. And as they're standing there, Jody looking into the, the blaze is like, like gasps and then starts crying. And is like, George Allen's in there. And then we don't hear about it ever again. Yeah. And it is the true horror of this book is <laughs> the fact that we don't know yeah. what happens to George Allen. Quillerin is uncharacteristically unsympathetic towards yeah. the cat's plight. He's just like, well, cats are smart. He probably got out. And then we don't hear if he actually did or not. We don't know. Ah. Um, so after this fire and after the horror of not finding out what happened to the <laughs> poor little mouser, oh. um, we get to chapter four. And the only thing I have written for chapter four is we meet Junior's family and his mom and sister exist. Quillerin goes over there and has a little little convo with the mom and sister. And that's all that happens. Chapter four. I feel like there was something else I wanted to add, but now I can't remember it. I think it was about the mom. Oh, just that I think they did have a little bit more of a conversation about the three, like, ancestors that keep coming up. The, like, grandfather and maybe uncle and someone else. And, like, because the grandfather worked at the newspaper and also died a, like, tragic death, I think. Yes. Or they thought he committed suicide. And that was like the, the kind of like scandal of it. But he, he died a tragic death. Um, and then his like partner who took over also died a tragic death. And then there was like someone else in the mix who was maybe Herb's father. Yeah, I think that comes out later. But I think you're right. I think Gritty does tell Quillerin the story of, I think it was Junior's great grandfather who was mm-hmm. murdered by the the driver like the um someone who drove the truck to deliver the papers i thought that was the guy who killed him yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe that it all like comes out in bits and pieces and yeah. like it doesn't really seem important enough for like the reader to like no. read it and remember it it really until, doesn't like the next time it comes up and you're like oh shit like what did they say last time yeah like, what was the like who are these people again it truly feels like a history lesson and then you're being quizzed at the end of like yeah. how did who did it and then you're like or they tell you kind of like they wrap it up and then you're like oh shit there was okay, way that more was in that than I should have remembered yeah yeah so there is like a I just put it into like there's a category a part of the story that is in black and white and or sepia toned and mm-hmm. is like moving like a little old western like a lot happens in that time frame that factors yeah. into what then the ultimate end of the story is but basically but it really doesn't no like it doesn't, it doesn't matter they could have left it out and like everything still would have happened the same way no it's so you're so true you're so right like it really does come down to you it it's only there to reinforce the idea that the Goodwinter family has been cursed and just hated in the community for a long time for numerous, yeah. like, essential reasons. <laughs> yeah. On to chapter five. So Onward. chapter five, 
was where he uh, decides to make to do some more interviews and like create some more informants for himself. And so that is actually the party that he throws at the house to like officially turn it over to whoever he's turning it over to to like have it become officially a museum instead of a house yes that's right yeah really all i have written down is party to turn the house into a museum and talk about junior's family for the past war (laughs) but do you know what else i think happened in that chapter there were a number of different parties at the mansion at Quillerin's mansion but i think it was this one where one of my favorite things of the book happened which was Mm -hmm. that the elevator uh they do you remember this part yep that is this this chapter oh thank god it was such a good part so they're all like kind of mingling but then they also have like a little moment where i think like the president of the historical society is like trying to say a few words and then he gets up and is like not quiller and this, this president of like whoever it is the historical society keeps being like the mayor's gonna be here like he's honored us with his presence like he really drums up the mayor and like mm-hmm. we don't even really ever meet the mayor but he doesn't end up coming but they keep being like he's gonna be here any minute he's gonna be here any minute and so everyone else is there, and then all of a sudden the elevator, you, everyone in the room hears the elevator, they're on like the second floor, everyone hears the elevator ding, and so the elevator comes up, they, you know, watch the little numbers like go between floors, and when it reaches their floor, <laughs> the doors open and Coco's in the elevator. <laughs> And it was just my favorite thing ever. And Quillerin, Quillerin to my, my favorite Quillerin moments are when he's interacting with the cats around other people like because he has like such a like just a silly ridiculous like he immediately he's always just immediately like if anyone says anything about the cats he's immediately sarcastic and mean to them (laughs) yeah it's true you can definitely tell when there's like a cat and a person in the same room it's pretty obvious like the high level of respect and regard that Quillerin holds for the cats and how like (laughs) above everyone else he thinks he is and the cats are like he not only thinks he is above everyone else he's like oh no the cats are clearly and these cats are too which that part I would agree with I'm not sure Quillerin is but the cats are definitely up there no Quillerin's kind of dumb (laughs) I agree Um, oh here it is I found it okay here I can actually read that part let's see and still the mayor did not arrive looking frequently at his watch Fitch the president guy Invited discussions on raising the dues, recruiting new members, and starting a newsletter. Finally, the telltale hum in the elevator shaft was heard, followed by a click as the car reached the third floor. All heads turned in anticipation. The elevator door opened, and out walked Coco, his tail (laughs) perpendicular, his ears proudly erect, and a dead mouse gripped in his jaw. I forgot that part. That's great. (laughs) He is also the resident mouser. (laughs) He is truly the resident mouser of of Quillerin's museum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh my god so good okay so yeah so that happens and out of that meeting slash party also comes the idea that Quillerin is going to start interviewing the old people of the town mm-hmm. um which, which he does in the next chapter so on to chapter six on to chapter six All so right. yeah Quillerin starts with uh junior's grandmother right and I don't have anything written down for this. All I have is that he interviewed his grandmother, Junior's grandmother. Well, you know, it's, I think we're finding a pattern here because I think it's just that she tells him more of the history of like, yeah, their... I think that's it. Yeah. It's like, which is, it's funny. The number of times that we've been like, I don't remember what happened. I think it's just more talk about Junior's family. Like, we really should have yeah. remembered what happened to Junior's family because it comes up in every chapter. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're really missing this giant chunk, but I say it's not entirely our fault. I mean, just mostly our fault. It just um, seems so unimportant. I know. She also but- brings in, I was just thinking here, or realizing here, she also brings up um, the, I think she's the one who puts together that gritty Junior's mom has connections mm-hmm. to this mysterious XYZ Enterprises. Oh, that... which actually did come up in chapter two because they recently bought the Old Stone Mill. Oh, right, So we right, right. were introduced to XYZ Corporation, which is kind of just like a big enterprise that is coming through and like gobbling up little, I guess, mom and pop type yeah. old like small town companies. Yeah, you really get the like you've got male type hatred for anything bigger than like a mom and pop type store. But I think it's in is it in this chapter? I think you do kind of get a hint in this chapter that oh, Grandma Gage, that's Junior's grandmother. Yeah. That Grandma Gage is sort of hinting at the idea that Gritty is having an affair with someone in XYZ Enterprises. Mm-hmm. So I think she kind of either teases that or says it outright or in some way is like she's selling the newspaper to XYZ Enterprises because she knows someone there. Um, Because she's sleeping with someone there. And it becomes that she's sleeping with someone there. Yes. Which is seen as shameful, but honestly, people should be able to sleep with whoever they want, except she was married at the time. So it is quite the scandal. (laughs) And then especially because you're... Uh, reading a mystery mm-hmm. it kind of does become a thing of like oh did she kill her husband because she wanted to sell and it becomes kind of a thing too that Gritty had never liked the newspaper because they mm-hmm. were so broke because of it and so yeah. you start to see what could potentially become a motive yeah and they did you know and but that's the thing like you kind of potentially see the motive there because they're, they're like oh they're broke but they like pretty quickly dismiss that there's like very little insurance and so like that wasn't they're like well yeah there's no payout for this so it's kind of like oh well maybe it wasn't yeah because you're right i don't remember quickly dismissed that like any easy money would be made like she would have to like sell everything Mm -hmm. you know which is always i mean it's still money but like it's not quite as quick and easy as like a really fast insurance payout yeah it's like more work which it does yeah. to be fair it does seem like she is she's immediately yeah. doing that work so right. she is immediately doing that work and she does immediately have an in with a guy at a big corporation who True. is a like pretty fast and easy buyer oh fast and easy buyer fast and easy buyer <laughs> if that's not an innuendo i don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are... Where are we? So we're still in Chapter 6. Kularin does the interviewing of the grandmother. But the other big thing that happens is Junior goes to Down Under, or Down South. Down Down Under. (laughs) (laughs) He flies to Australia real quick. (laughs) Yeah, he just makes a little little trip. (laughs) Um, Down below. Down below. (laughs) He goes down below? I don't remember this. He does. For an interview with Kularin's old newspaper, and he doesn't get it because they already filled the position. Oh, Junior does. Sorry, I thought you were. I thought you were talking about Quillerin. No, 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 Junior. Yes, yes, yes. Junior does. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of strung along too because when he meets the guy initially, the guy's like, "Anytime you can have a job here, anytime." And then Quillerin hears that and is like, "Uh oh, like that guy now. That guy's a flake." And then, in fact, Junior does go interview with him, and the guy flakes him out, which is. 
Yeah, but also to be fair, we find out it's because they had like literally just hired a couple new people. So maybe if he had been a little faster on the uptake, yeah. he would have gotten one of those spots. You know, it is really funny that Lillian Jackson Brown seems to do this thing in this book where it's like, there's a thing that happens and then immediately after it, it's like, oh, but, and then it like is explained a little bit. And it's like, no, you can let us sit with that for a little bit. We don't have to have this immediately, you know, covered over. It's like, we, we can hang out with that information for a little bit. It's fine. Yeah. Also, it didn't really need an explanation. It could have just been it's like, true. this guy was It really doesn't. It's just yeah. so small. Yeah. It really wasn't important at all. Yeah. But it ended up being the reason why Junior gets like a little depressed and goes out into the woods to hunt and everyone's worried about him. And so Quillern actually goes into the woods to like find him and ends up driving by Polly's house and ends up driving by mrs cobb's boyfriend's house so you do get little snips of like where certain other characters are in the book that's true it kind of locates everyone just in the way it of like does, yeah like bring a mrs cobb's boyfriend into the picture as this crazy old like hillbilly type who's you know the the hunter on the porch with the shotgun i like, get off my property yeah it also puts quillerin into the category of uh something that i feel like i have done in the past which he like is in the area as where he knows <laughs> Holly lives, and then he's like, "Oh, maybe if I just drive a little bit out of my way." In- inadvertent stalker. Yeah, just an inadvertent <laughs> stalker is, uh, yeah, definitely what was a little bit happening there. Which, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, actually saves his life in the future. <laughs> it does indeed. Um. So yeah, yeah, because that was another moment where Jody calls Quiller in and is like, "Oh my God, Junior's so depressed. He has gone out hunting. Mm-hmm. He has this gun, and then and then like is like." But he's not good with guns and he's never gone hunting. And it's like, why is he doing this? Oh, God. He's in a red convertible. Yeah, that's right. He's in a red fucking convertible. That's right. It's probably the most, like, anti-hunting car I've ever heard of. Yeah. I mean, at least he's not going to get shot by anyone. That's true. That's actually a good point. (laughs) He's wearing, like, a safety vest as a car. But then Quillerin doesn't even find him. No, he doesn't. (sighs) Okay. I actually don't remember how he's found, but Junior does come back safe. No one worry. <laughs> he does, but I was just re- remembering that he also ends up in the hospital at one point, and I forget how that happens. Oh, yeah. He, like, trips and breaks his leg. Yeah. He, like, his ankle. Which could have so easily been done in the woods while he's hunting. Like, I in yeah. my head, I think I was like, that happened, and then I was like, oh, no, there was a different... No, no, no. I think that actually did happen in the woods while he was hunting oh did it oh okay okay yeah oh man i completely forgot about that part and it's nowhere in my notes so obviously (laughs) it was very short and i skimmed over it and it doesn't again doesn't really matter again it doesn't matter yeah okay so (laughs) moving on (laughs) moving on so i don't remember if the hospital part was in chapter six maybe no i think it's a little bit later yeah a little bit later well in chapter seven all i have written down is that we meet mrs cobb's boyfriend because he comes over yes because quillerin's been terrible (laughs) he's so terrible quillerin's kind of been after mrs cobb to like all right like grumble grumble if you're gonna like Mm -hmm. date this guy you might as well like bring him over i should meet him blah 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 and then quillerin does not like him no one likes him the it's cats true. especially do not like him yes because wait do we get to talk about my actual favorite part of this book now yes i take it back the the elevator will always be my favorite part <laughs> but i think maybe this is your favorite part this is my favorite part. okay <laughs> do you want to tell it because it's your favorite part well so my favorite part comes like a little bit later on I think it's kind of like the little like cherry on top of the like shit Sunday that is this uh, <laughs> dinner mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. happens. 
so Mrs. Cub's boyfriend comes over. He's immediately terrible and tries to, like, shoo the cats away. And the cats are like, fuck you. Yeah, he, like, tries to kick the cats, which it's like, uh, hello, no. Oh, my God, this is their house. You get out. Yeah. Yeah, so dinner's happening, and, you know, Mrs. Cub's boyfriend is the terrible hillbilly that we all think he is. He's, like, mean and grumpy and, like, is just a terrible person. Um, so din- dinner is going horribly. And then... Um, I'm buying more wine. Sorry, I just had to say that because I thought it might be catching in the audio. (laughs) It absolutely did, and it sounded like you were peeing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, glad I mentioned it then. It was more wine. (laughs) I was making good on my promise to lap you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm stuck in the green room, so I have nothing. Oh, steal dad's beer. (laughs) I was just going to say there's a whole tiny fridge in there. There's a whole tiny fridge in here. Is it stocked? Oh my god, it's stocked. I'm going to drink an IPA because oh. I love IPAs. <laughs> Lucky you. Okay, I'm so sorry. I distracted us with alcohol. Um, that's fine. I'm going to make a ruckus while I open this. Um, yeah, so we are at this dinner and everything's going absolutely horribly because Mrs. Cop's boyfriend is the terrible old grumpy man that we think he is. Um, so the dinner is actually interrupted by a giant crash yes if i remember correctly and so we go we we all go running in to <laughs> the living room entryway something or other yeah i can't remember exactly where it was because i think it was mobile what you're about to say i think you know i think it was actually on a bookshelf oh really or a table i thought you it know, had wheels is it not a cart that was moving around huh I don't know. (laughs) It would make so much more logical sense if it was on a bookshelf because it would also be in fitting with the theme that Coco is knocking shit off bookshelves. And you know what? You're probably right. Yeah. You're no, you're a hundred percent right. Because, because of that, because I think that goes into the, the theme and Coco knocking and like, cause the whole thing is that he's like, if there is ever a theme of this book, I think it's communication because I think it's Mm -hmm. that Quillerin by the end is upset that he has not listened to his cats more closely like he has in previous books mm-hmm. and it would be fitting with the theme with that theme if coco is consistently knocking things off of shelves and is trying to get quillen's attention yeah we also so the thing that he knocks off the bookshelf is mrs cobb's herb garden yes. which was given to her by her boyfriend herb which hint hint does a cat know that herbs and herb the person are spelled the same we're left unsure <laughs> too but <laughs> we don't know but to be fair earlier in the book we do get a little hint of um mrs cop complaining about this she's like oh quillerin your cats seem to be moving my herb garden around quite a bit and quillerin was like oh haha it's because you know they're he's like coco's getting up on this shelf and shoving it back because you know the herb garden is in direct sunlight and cats love sunlight and so that was kind of his like of course he's moving your herb garden around he wants the sunlight yeah Uh, you know which is then again not listening to his cat because that is not why he is destroying yes so this dinner was ended by coco shoving the herb garden off of the wherever it was Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of our first hint of like, all right, these cats really don't like this guy. Like he seems like bad news. Maybe we yeah. should, you know, consider him a bigger character in this story than 
he has been but my favorite part (laughs) is uh yum yum's contribution because (laughs) she she has been throughout the entire book you know batting things around and playing and stealing you know little knickknacks like cats do and hiding Mm -hmm. them under rugs oh right yeah 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 uh, what she did, uh, her contribution to, you know, showing her disdain for Herb is stealing his cigarettes off the table and hiding them under Ugh. the carpet, which I just think is so great. <laughs> it's just so good because it's specifically also after Herb has tried to smoke numerous times in the house and both Quillerin and Mrs. Cobb have been like, hey, no, like, not only do we not want you to do that, but also we're going to turn this into a museum. You can't smoke around antiques. So, like, they actually have a reason, too, beyond, yeah. like, even just... as it is if, a museum at that point. It is, that's true. Yeah, it is. And it's, like, also just the idea that you don't want him to smoke is, like, enough, too. Like, it, it's, like, double-edged, you know? It's, like, we don't want you to, and this is... Right. So, like, he's been asked numerous times, and he's been, like, super fucking grumpy about it both times to the point that doesn't he, like, storm out at the end? Or, like, mm-hmm. they leave abruptly because he's yeah. specifically mad about not being able to smoke. Yeah. Well, he's mad because he lost his pack of cigarettes because you have <laughs> That's true, which is just so great. Because it's just, like, it does sort of, like, kind of funnel into our theory, too, that Yum Yum is kind of just, like, she's aware of everything that's going on, but in the smartest way possible is just, like, you guys can deal with this. But, like, then gets tipped over the edge of, like, I don't want you to smoke in here and get the fuck out. Yeah, she's pretty great. Um, so that is the end of the book that dinner. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. Chapter seven. Seven. Yeah, that is true. That is where we start to. We had like kind of been hearing things about Herb before, but this is where we right really start to get suspicious of Herb. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the cats understand language. Yeah. Although I guess we kind of thought that from the cat who saw red. So this is just a continuation of that. Yes, that is true. I mean, Coco did spell out kind of caviar in the last book (laughs) yeah which was a little silly okay so chapter eight quillerin continues with his old people interviews and he interviews an old school teacher an old retired school teacher that's right who again i don't think was really that important he just gave like a little again a little bit more insight to what neither of us paid attention to (laughs) um yeah the like older generations of junior's family and how they were as children in schools and how the old school system used to be oh my god i'm also realizing i'm following along i'm here in the in the book uh they kind of denote the interviews as transcriptions and so it's like Mm -hmm. kind of blocked off to the side and i'm looking at it now and i actually realized i found a typo in that transcription no they uh it was typed as suicide left a suicide knot oh but it was suicide note addressed to her cat because why else would you not leave a suicide note to your cat yeah, definitely leave a suicide note for your cat. Yep. Um, so after this interview, I think is when we get introduced to Quillerin's old buddy that comes out of nowhere. Oh my goodness. Yes, I think you're right. Um, yeah, so somehow Coco reminds Quillerin of this random guy. And Quillerin's like, oh, I haven't thought about him in years. He would be the perfect bajillionaire to buy the newspaper. <laughs> yes, because even though Quillerin has so much, like too much money, like more than he knows what to do with, he mm-hmm. has completely just taken and, and also was a former new, like journalist, like newspaper yeah. man in his day. He is like super invested in getting the pickaxe picayune bought by someone other than the 
XYZ Enterprises because XYZ Enterprises is just going to turn it into like what they call like a commercial pamphlet service, which I think is probably like like an ad ad company basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, "That's not journal. We need a newspaper in this town." That's which he's. I mean, he's right. That's not like a yeah. journalistic association. Anyway, yeah, no, it's terrible. But he, even though he has so much money and just like willy nilly is like, "I can do this because I have money. I can do this because I have money." He refuses to buy the newspaper, even though he could easily buy the newspaper and just be like someone else run it. So right, he bought the newspaper, but no, he calls this guy in England to come over and charter a plane to pickaxe so that he can buy a tiny newspaper that he probably has never heard of before. Which is one of my other favorite parts of this book because this guy. Oh shoot, what's his name? I forget his name. Oh, it's like Edward Noyton or something. So I remember thinking it was so funny because it's close to Edward Norton. I was like, oh, good choice. He, it's one of my favorite things that he is just so immediately, so emotionally invested in it. Like, <laughs> Quiller, and they talk like old timey, like 1910, like, oh, I see. Oh, you're going to do this. Like, that's what it was happening in my head. Like, he, <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. I have to pause for just a minute to tell you that I, so I looked up and my bathroom door is slightly ajar. The light is off. And I looked in and I could see through the crack. <laughs> so right when I looked up, it was actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> I looked through the crack and Murphy is perfectly placed in the middle of that crack inside the bathtub, just staring at me <laughs> like the huge creep that she is. What a creeper. Um, Murphy clearly is very invested in this series. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, it was one of my favorite things that our good pal Ed was just immediately like Quillerin would be like, Hey, I've got this proposition for you. And he's like, I'm in. <laughs> and then he was like, oh. And then it's like, it goes back and forth because then Quillerin is like, well, you're going to have a hard time with the widow. Like, he's not pitching it well. He's not being like, you know, I'll help you or like, this will be so easy. Mm-hmm. He's like, what? He almost does like a reverse psychology thing if I thought he was like smart enough for that. Yeah. He would be like, um, like, oh, but you're going to have a hard time with Gritty. And he's like, I love widows. And it's like, what? <laughs> First of all, do you? Yeah. And then he's like, I'm great with women. And he, like, I imagine them, like, screaming in old-timey, like, <laughs> at each other late at night. Because apparently they only call each other at night, which is, like, a weird thing they do. Yeah. Well, it's late night for Quiller. And I think for the other guy, he's like, oh, thank God, it's not late night for him. He's in England. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, he does come over and does prove himself to be very good with widows who are selling newspapers to big mm-hmm. conglomerations. Um, because they immediately get involved. <laughs> yeah. Which ultimately leads to his death. Whose death? Edward Norton's death. Really? He died? Yes, and Gritty died. They no. Died. Yes, they died together. No, no, no. She died with the guy from XYZ. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Edward Norton died. Oh my god, this is hysterical that we don't even know who actually <laughs> died in this book. <laughs> no, because he wanted to buy the newspaper he's the good guy she was sleeping with the guy from xyz enterprises and they were the ones in the car and they died together and it was like oh they died together because they were sleeping together all the bad guys went down together yay no xyz is out of the picture and right that might be true and i completely thought it was the other way around and i this whole time was like holding this grudge against Quiller and because I was like you invited your friend here and he died because of you <laughs> and 
Quillen didn't even no. seem to care, which would make sense because he actually didn't die. Okay, so I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he totally didn't die. He survived, mm. and the newspaper has a happy ending, and this guy bought it, and Junior is the, like, editor, and his other friend from the newspaper is the something-something publisher. I don't know. What are yeah, newspaper jobs? Arch Riker, Quillen's friend, this is, like, a little bit later. This is a little bit, like in the wrap-up of the book but we're basically almost there like i'm at i'm holding the book here we're like three-fourths of the way through already but that Mm -hmm. also happens like there's not really any um impediment to edward norton coming in and just immediately buying the newspaper like that was a little bit anticlimactic of quiller and just being like he it was pretty obvious from the beginning that he has like an infinite amount of money and can like double what anyone offers ever and is willing to do it shall we move on to chapter 12 my favorite of the chapters oh yes tell me everything about what makes chapter 12 your favorite of all the chapters does it involve let me guess a wedding no oh does that happen later or should we talk about that before so i actually didn't write down when mrs cobb got engaged to this guy because i don't know when it happened i was trying to (laughs) skim through really quickly and find it and i was like it was like one sentence there's no way i'm going to like magically Uh -uh. skim through and find it so i'm really not sure when that happened but sure we can say it happened in chapter 12 sure oh oh shit julia no, we are wrong. It did kill, and his name is Harold. Sorry, I've been calling him the wrong name. It's not Edward. He did die. Really? Yeah, it's in chapter 12. Thursday, November 21st, storm warnings. Oh, that was another thing we forgot to mention. Every chapter starts with a storm warning that mm-hmm. never really happens until, like... Well, it does in chapter 12. Oh, that's your favorite part? Oh, okay. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is a really great part that we're coming up to um, in a minute. After we sort out whether or not Harold Norton actually died. Yeah. Okay. Thursday, November 21st, storm warnings are again in effect for Moose County, said the WPKX announcer. Winds high, continuing from the northwest and temperatures constant in the 20s. And in the news, here's an update on yesterday's fatal accident in the airport road. Because they were going away together. Killed at 4.45 p.m. were Gertrude Goodwinter, 48, and North Middle Hummock, of North Middle Hummock, and Harold Noyton, 52, of Chicago. According to the Sheriff's Department, their car struck and killed a large buck, then entered a ditch and rolled over. Huh. Yeah, because it was, I remember thinking that, that like, so like she had had that affair and Harold Noyton kind of came in between them and uh, Harold and Gritty got close together. And then they were actually leaving together. Because remember Junior was like, my mom's going somewhere with, like to the Caribbean or something. Like it's not the Caribbean, but it's somewhere tropical like very tropical that they're like going away together but that doesn't make any sense because then that leaves xyz corporation wide open no well i guess junior would inherit it i think the sale had already gone through like all the paperwork had already gone through and so then Mm -hmm. technically uh, yeah i don't know i mean i don't know that it goes into it because i guess technically it would fall to whoever harold noyton's because i think he does have a son i think he mentions a son at one point but I don't think they go into it. And I think it's just kind of assumed that, like, because the sale had already gone through, everything was settled and totally fine. <laughs> everything was settled, even though it now belongs to someone who doesn't even live in the town. And right. his next of kin. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, now that we're talking about it, we really should write these books ourselves because it really should have been the XYZ guy that died because that would wrap things up. 
yeah that made so much more sense in my mind yeah Harold dying makes zero sense well and well right because it's super dark first of all because like Quilleran kind of lured his friend to his death I mean not unbeknownst (laughs) to him but also it's like the way that Quilleran acts but then again we've talked about this before that Quilleran's ability to emote about someone's death is not very developed he developed is a great way to put it (laughs) Yeah, no, he feels very callous about about pretty much everyone that's died so far in these books that we've read. That's true. So they report that. I remember being like, oh, God, why did they do that? And Mm -hmm. then over on the next page, Quillerin goes to visit. Remember, because Quillerin goes to visit the police office uh, or the police headquarters. And he there's like a little paragraph here that I wrote. Hello, people just died in the margins because they're like talking. So police officer Brody is the character that Quillerin's talking to. This is clearly a plot point because this concert and this stupid, like, big choir presentation um, comes into play and, like, doesn't mean anything really at the end. But I think this is a plot point to talk about that again because mm. – so Quillerin starts out by saying, at first I thought Junior and Jody had been killed. I knew Jody is a friend of your daughter's, so I tried mm. calling your house last night but got no answer. Um, And then Brody just casually is like, the wife and I were out visiting, Brody said. And Francesca was rehearsing for that concert at the church where they're going to wear all those old-fashioned costumes, which is like a whole fucking thing throughout this book. Like, it's so annoying. Um, (laughs) It'll be a spectacle, all right? They're making their own costumes, and they're going all out. And then Quillerin says, I'm looking forward to it. After which he commented on the weather, the hunting season, and the Good Winter auction before steering the conversation back to the accident. Do you know who was driving? And I was like, you guys had this whole fucking conversation and you don't even seem sad that your friend just died. And then they Im- implicate, they think that, because he says there's no telling who um, they're both thrown from the car. And then remember, it's because they weren't wearing seatbelts as his friend wasn't wearing a seatbelt in his own car. And Quilleran does like the, the dad move of like, I'm not moving this car until you put on your fucking seatbelt. And then it comes back. I think Lillian Jackson Brown thought she was like doing full circle with like a different plot point that we were like, this doesn't have anything to do with the mystery. Why are you full circling this? <laughs> um, but then because, yeah, like later in this paragraph here, he's basically like, I they definitely weren't wearing seatbelts because they were thrown from the car. It's just... I almost wish that wasn't the case so I didn't have to bring that up because I feel like that really throws off the flow of our recording. So thanks a lot, <laughs> Lillian Jackson Braun. Damn you, Lillian Jackson Braun. Uh, <laughs> we were doing so well. Yeah. Man, this part of the book, I'm just going to like forget this. that part of the book exists because it really throws off. Like, none of it made sense in the first place, but this like <laughs> just tops it all off as like the most illogical mm-hmm. book with like zero points and like at this point it has like negative logical <laughs> points like it's just going against itself although to play feline's advocate again mm-hmm. because Quillerin is about to go into your favorite part which is his near-death experience <laughs> <laughs> and so part of me wonders if do you think that maybe maybe if we're really giving everyone the benefit of the doubt here because it does not actually say this within the text or the context of this book Mm -hmm. but do you think that maybe going into his near-death experience it makes that part all the the heavier for quiller in because he's just lost a friend no (laughs) (laughs) i'm not saying it's substantiated at all i mean maybe depends on the person i probably wouldn't have felt bad about it (laughs) 
you're to be completely honest, if it was an acquaintance of mine that I was like, (laughs) it was an acquaintance that I was like kind of using and they like seduced a like recent widow who was already having an affair with someone else and then like died in a car crash without wearing a seatbelt, I'd be like, like, sorry that I brought you here, but like, you're a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is true. The added bit of not wearing a seatbelt does definitely make it fully more in in edward slash harold noyton's camp because of the culpability because oh yeah it was like a thousand percent his fault although it's like why are they both not wearing seat belts it's like it was his thing was he just like peer pressure and gritty into not wearing you a seat know, belt too her husband just it's... died in a car accident um you know public health has a lot of eras that we went through as a country and in one era seat belts were not a big thing was that the 1980, late 80s though? You know, I'm not sure. It's okay. kind of, it's one of those, so seatbelts are one of the like major public health like wins of shifting death rates dramatically. Oh, really? Yeah. So like seatbelts, like the Surgeon General's warning on cigarettes, um, childproof caps on bottles, like those are big big wins for public health and before those things happened lots of people died by swallowing pills accidentally and you know smoking themselves to death and car crashes flying through windshields do you want to know why i will never fly through my windshield or i take that back i don't want to jinx this whole situation why i will (laughs) never not be wearing my seatbelt Uh and and ties into this because i'm sure the reason that cars do this is because of seatbelt safety measures my mm-hmm. car, I had already, like, purchased my car, and, like, I don't purchase cars lightly. Like, this was a huge, like, oh, my God, this is so much money. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already purchased my car. I was still on the lot of the dealership. I had, like, gotten into my car. My car is, if you start the car without your seatbelt on, it screams at you. <laughs> Just start the car. Like, I've tried to get into the habit. It's so hard to, like, put on your seatbelt before you even put mm-hmm. the keys into the ignition. That is intense. And actually the other day it was so hot out here in LA that something like got faulty with my, um, like that sensor. And I was mm. driving fully had my seatbelt on and I kept checking. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what's happening. It was, <laughs> it just got so faulty or like the wiring got loose or whatever. Cause it was so hot. It started screaming at me while I was driving. And I was like, oh, you were no. going to cause me to crash. <laughs> And I'm flying through my windshield because you're trying yeah. to keep me safe. Oh my god, I was so mad. But yeah, like I assume maybe that's part of it too. Like the the cars that actually do scream at you um, if you yeah. do not wear your seatbelt. It's those public healthers trying to keep everyone alive. Oh, god, god damn you! You make my life so inconvenient. <laughs> yep. Don't want those babies to swallow pills. Don't want those people flying through windshields. So they die. The newspaper, though, mm-hmm. is still fine somehow. Mm-hmm. We're not sure how. Um, yeah. And then Juliet. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. It took us so long to get back to your fucking favorite part of this <laughs> whole entire um, It's okay. There's actually one more thing before the giant storm hits. I won't hear it. Um, I won't hear it. <laughs> yeah, no. Not at all. <laughs> so the next thing that happens in Chapter 12 is Hixie comes back and uh, lets everyone know that her fiancé slash boyfriend steals her car and leaves her. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then on to... The big storm. <sighs> yeah. So the, the next big thing that finally happens, everyone keeps talking about this big storm that's going to come through and it finally hits 
while Quillerin is driving to Polly's house. Yes. He's very excited about this date, by the way. Mm-hmm. They're going to eat mutton. It's not mutton, but in my head it was mutton that they were going to eat together. It was something akin to that. Like It was something that we don't eat now. That I was like, okay, <laughs> great. No one eats this, but Quillerin was excited. He about was it. very excited that Polly was making it for him. And they, I think they were going to like read Shakespeare to each other again. They were going to have a wild night. Yeah, I'm well, not... they do have a wild That's night, true. maybe. We don't know. <laughs> it's true, we don't know! <laughs> because it's all a mystery. This whole book is a mystery. <laughs> so anyway... On Quillerin's way to Polly's house, the big storm hits, snow is flying everywhere, and he, like, sees mysterious things in the road, like bushes and shit, and the snow is, like, covering it, so he, like, swerves a bunch, ends up in a ditch somehow, Mm -hmm. and then wanders in circles in the snow for, like, hours and hours because he can't find his way along the street, almost dies, like, feels his way by mailboxes he's like i'm walking in circles but i found a mailbox i'm gonna just find the next mailbox he can't do it and then at nighttime he like sees the light in the distance of polly's house Uh and is like oh yes i remember this i'm just gonna follow the light so he ends up making it makes it to polly's house is you know on death's doorbed or at least like maybe death's doorbed No, it's always going to be Dorbed now, always and forever. (laughs) He's on Polly and Death's doorstep. He's on Polly's both her doorstep and then her doorbed. Her bedroom step. Bedroom step. Yeah, and that's actually probably more accurate because we don't ever actually know if they have sex, even though they, he, Quiller and definitely. They end up in robes. Yep, and they definitely end up in robes. So that's. <laughs> I just literally held my glass so up guess, as if to cheer. I guess up. that's the like point of the whole story is well, that's the point of like this whole excursion is that this like romance novelist to be Lillian Jackson <laughs> Braun writes herself into a steamy romance scene and then cuts it. Yep. At the very end, curtains drawn, we get to the point where everything is going great, and then she's like, bam, end of chapter, next morning. I have, Here's my theory. Do you want to hear a theory I just came up with just now, so it might be terrible? Yeah. Do you think there is a full-blown erotica sex scene that was a part of this book, and she turned it into her editor, and her editor was like, no, you are writing mysteries that involve cats, and you cannot have this sex scene in here. And to that, I would say, put it all together because God damn, if we would separate all of that. Yeah, we want the sex scene. But also, I think it was just in her head. I don't think she ever got it down on paper. No, I think she is yeah. too old lady conservative for that. She's, yeah, she's too Southern conservative for that, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yes. Okay. So Quillerin definitely almost dies. And he like doesn't speak for an entire chapter, which is <laughs> un-Quillerin completely Um, but yeah there are certain it's interesting because there definitely are certain like plot points that are only plot points to Quillerin and Polly's relationship which I guess is the case of most things but like I feel like there is a lot better time in in other things yeah and that was like I don't know if you caught this because it was so subtle (laughs) and ended so quickly Uh in the cat who saw red but he had a similar potential romance steamy erotica scene with rosemary oh really i don't think i remember yeah oh i caught it tell me so they had 
I can't remember what part of the book it was. I think it was close to the end. It was after they had their like weekend away together and she comes up to his room for something something and he invites her in and they're talking and he's like and in uncharacteristic moment of you know like something something he throws both the cats in the bathroom and slams the door (gasps) and the night continues and you're like oh oh my Quillerin, why did you lock the cats away and then it just like cuts (gasps) and i was like i think i think they did the dirty I think they did the deed. I think they I think they did something, but it certainly was to be read into and not described. <laughs> you know, I wonder if you know how like in mysteries it's like leave it's like, you know, is things are sometimes or it maybe it's more horror. Like if you don't explain something, then it's scarier. I wonder if she because she's writing mysteries that she's like applying that principle to <laughs> if sex. you don't write about it it's sexy. Yeah, which is not true cuz I would love to have read the sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little curious, but also normally I'd be like, "Yeah, me too," but I, there's just something about Coleran's character that I'm like, "Nah, I don't think it would be very exciting." Oh, that's true and disappointing. <laughs> Like, I can't imagine him being a very conscientious lover. No, that is very true and very disappointing. Yeah, I feel like Quilleran is definitely old-fashioned enough that it would be fine, but not that exciting. I mean, maybe Lillian Jackson Brown is doing us all a favor after (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Just ending it. Ending it at the build-up just yeah I guess. ending it before the build-up happens <laughs> on to chapter 13 mm-hmm. so they do wake up together in robes uh-huh, uh-huh. um so we do have a little hint of a little something something happened yeah maybe we don't know but quillerin is found by a police officer police officer comes to the door and is like hey your car's out there we noticed you were maybe in need of some help and we came to get you. And so he drives home with the police officer. And also Mrs. Cobb has sent them after him because she... Oh, Mrs. Cobb. I, yeah. yeah. That would make sense. Because I also, at the end of that, the scene that we don't know, you know, sex or no sex, the end, at the end mm-hmm. of that chapter, I literally wrote, but the cats! <laughs> Which I should have known that Mrs. Cobb would be still be there because I don't think at that point she was married yet, so... No, she wasn't. But that is something that, well, no, the wedding doesn't happen in chapter 13. But what we do find out in chapter 13 is that when Quillerin gets back, Mrs. Cobb talks about, so she is engaged at this point. um, And she was talking to him, to Quillerin, about how she stood up to Herb, Mm. who wanted her to quit the museum and be a stay-at-home wife after she got married and she was like absolutely not this is important to me and i will not quit i will work at the museum yes so that is the big development of chapter 13 that i have written down yeah because that factors into then the later development that is that that's not the next thing no because the wedding is the next thing but that is important to know for the end yeah so the next thing i mean it basically pretty much like snowballs and moves pretty quickly after this chapter 14 is the wedding yes yeah there's not Um, much after this i feel like yeah there's there really isn't so that's kind of chapter 14 uh mrs cobb and uh herb get married and then moving on to chapter 15 is when mrs cobb shows up in a state of panic back at the mansion saying that she married a monster she's very very upset 
very upset. And I don't think it comes out until even a later chapter because she's immediately taken to the hospital for what I think might potentially be a panic attack. Like they don't fully address Mm -hmm. it, but it sounds like maybe. um, Yeah, it seems like she's kind of in shock, kind of has some more like mental, emotional stress issues, not so much physical. Yeah. You know, heard his confession and his story and panicked and ran the like three kilometers back to the mansion. Oh, so maybe we should, because I don't think we've actually described that event. So basically she... No, because she didn't describe it until chapter It's true. It's true. You get all of this, like, in between of, like, she's at the hospital, and then there's a lot of in between of, like, Quillorn does kind of go into action, to his credit. He, like, Mm -hmm. he has someone, uh, a friend of Mrs. Cobbs, come in and, like, pack her a bag, and, like, he goes to the hospital, and... Oh, no, he drives with her, and then someone comes in and packs a bag for her and takes the bag to the hospital for her. Um, so he's like all about her. He's like really helping her out and like calls a f- mm-hmm. another friend. Like he basically has the whole thing covered and like has yeah. for and he very uncharacteristically, very intelligently tells the doctor that she should be in the hospital receiving no visitors just in case her crazy husband comes along. That was so uncharacteristically smart. That was probably the smartest <laughs> moment of this entire book. I at that moment I was like Quillerin good work <laughs> Bravo. yes Quillerin. because that has been the plot point of like so many movies and tv shows where just like the person is in the hospital and then like the crazy one yes. who like put them in the hospital shows up and you're like um hello can no one like keep this person away? yeah why like, is just there no, no they're in a hospital here yeah you can just tell them no and have security throw them out anyway yeah that was very uncharacteristically smart of him good work Lillian Jackson Braun so so then the actual event we find out is that she has directly from the wedding they go and they have a dinner I think and then they were like in the honeymoon suite of the hotel that's like near Quillerin's house because everything's kind of close everything's kind of walking distance in the town of pickaxe apparently Herb has gotten progressively drunker and then he basically starts drunkenly confessing like everything he's ever done which apparently is a lot in this small mm-hmm. town i think you said last time that you thought that he was kind of like the um jack of all trades criminal type guy that he like if you want something done like he'll go do it including like yeah. kill people he seemed to be kind of yeah it seemed to be kind of like a i don't want to say like mobster type but like kind of like a mob like a hitman i guess like a kind of just like an all-purpose like he it seemed like he was on xyz enterprises payroll as like this is the guy you call if you want something done yeah because then he includes within his confessions he confesses to mrs cobb that he also has actually killed junior's father Hmm. which is the the full tie-in mechanic True, it's not direct. Like he doesn't like yeah. stab so him or anything. Junior's father careened off of a bridge, but Herb was the one who fixed his car to like spiral out of control when he hit that like big bump that was like right. notoriously unsafe on that particular bridge. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And so that's what sent Mrs. Mrs. Cobb into a, and rightly so. I mean, into a, a sort of a spiral, sort of a, a panic. And so I mean that's honestly it except for the last big thing which Mm -hmm. factors back into the idea that um herb didn't want mrs cobb to work after they were married especially didn't want her to work at quillerin's place and at the museum for some reason 
Mm-hmm. And so he actually, he, so he first gets mad because he, I think he does try to go see her at the hospital and then he's like turned away. And so he, while Quillerin and everyone accept this, um, so Quillerin has instilled while Mrs. Cobb is out, instead of a housekeeper, he has this groundskeeper guy who is sort of taking care of everything at the house, the mansion, the museum, um, while everyone is away. And mm-hmm. so he is still there and the cats are still there. Um, and then Herb mm-hmm. goes to the museum. So we find out basically through, I think it's Quillerin. Quillerin gets a call that his um, <laughs> newly acquired mansion is on fire. Um, yep. And so Quillerin runs back. Obviously, he's terrified about the cats. And then he gets back and he the whole place is just burned to the ground. Herb has burned himself into, like, while he was in the mansion. Like, yep completely burned gone himself alive burned himself alive which i actually think is a was a little bit of an accident because i think there was a bit in because so it also turns out that wasn't herb also the one that burned the picayune um yeah no it it totally seemed like an accident like he probably did not want to burn himself alive this I, was yeah. not like a tragic suicide i think he like got himself stuck in the mansion while it was burning yes i think so but, too and they mentioned uh, that too in the picayune like it comes back around that the Picayune fire was also an arson and that mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Herb as well. And then yeah. one of the like older, I think it was the, the fire chief or like someone else that's in the volunteer fire department, whoever it was mentions to Quiller and that the way that they think the fire was set was very risky because that if it was someone inside the building, that it could have exploded and killed that person inside the building. So I mm. think that was technically, but I don't think it was ever really explained. I think that was mm-hmm. technically a foreshadowing um Mm. of this fire and herb getting killed because i think it was supposed to be Uh that that person just wasn't smart enough to know that this would happen which is dumb because herb was on the fucking volunteer fire department even though we do find out that he was kind of kicked off yeah i was gonna say i think we did find out that he hadn't actually been on the volunteer fire department for like a good while because either no one liked him or he was drunk or i don't know something something and they were like no you can't be here anymore yeah yeah exactly but you would think he would still be smart enough about fires after having been on it for maybe he wasn't on it for very long i don't know i guess i don't specify that part but (laughs) who knows so then i'm sure you're all wondering as also potentially cat lovers as we are what happened to the cats they luckily do tell us what happens to these cats in this fire um, so if you'll recall, the whole transportation method of the cats in the wicker basket, you know, Quillerin transports the cats back and forth um, each day. So the cats actually were in the main building before Herb came to set the mansion on fire. But Coco apparently had sensed that something was amiss. And he mm-hmm. had jumped, he had gone to find the groundskeeper, the man that Quillerin had set up to, you know, keep the place running gone to find him and just was like annoying him until he followed him also had done the same thing to yum yum and apparently annoyed both of them until him (laughs) and yum yum had jumped into the wicker basket and the house or the sorry the groundskeeper had taken them across the street or across the driveway into the apartment above the garage so they hadn't been so they were safe i guess the fire didn't jump the driveway but so they were totally safe coco was apparently a psychic and then we get this, is there anything else or should, can we just go into the end, which is the most glorious and most frustrating part of this entire book? Yeah, so 
I think at the the very end, they went through kind of Quiller and thinking back over all the times that Coco had knocked Shakespeare books off the shelf. Yes. And he was like, oh, it all makes sense now, but it still doesn't make sense to me, (laughs) maybe because I don't know Shakespeare well enough to, like, connect the plays to this story. But apparently he, like, went through and was like, oh, yes, Hamlet was Coco's favorite to knock off the shelf and the death of a father and the like hasty romance of the mother and then something else I should have listened. It is true. It's like immediately. Well, okay. Immediately is a loose term because everything happens very slowly in pickaxe. But after all of these events have transpired, Quillerin is kind of musing to himself and it seems like he without question is like, Oh my God, all of this is the exact plot of Hamlet And Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. Maybe this is just going to show my ignorance and the fact that I read Hamlet in high school and potentially also did not finish Hamlet. It's unclear. I cannot remember. But I did kind of look it up and I was like, okay, so like, yeah, I get it. Like some of the plot points are the same. It does kind of seem like in the same way that like, um, that like 10 Things I Hate About You, the Mm -hmm. glorious movie that is my favorite movie of so good, maybe not all time, but like up there. Of um, the 90s era yeah. with Heath Ledger in it. Oh, that like glorious 90s, tre- 90s trend of rom-coms taking Shakespeare plots and like, you know, kind of going with them into like modern 90s fashion. Like mm-hmm. it seems like Quillerin is like that. He's like, this is our 10 things I hate about you. He's like, <laughs> Hamlet was this entire plot, which is maybe exactly what Lillian, I mean, I'm sure it is, is, you know, she, as she was writing this was probably like, I'm going to set this whole thing up and it's gonna be you know what maybe we should i mean i'm not suggesting we read hamlet right now but i'm saying maybe if we knew Hamlet better maybe this would be less confusing to us because maybe we would know all the plot points and maybe maybe like even maybe this is giving her too much credit but also maybe specific characters are like more exactly characters that mirror hamlet as well like maybe junior is hamlet gritty is the you know the mother Mm-hmm. the father yeah i think i think that's what they're going for i just i just don't know hamlet that well i don't either but apparently full circle coco knows hamlet better than all of us it's true coco has obviously read hamlet before because what we're led to believe is that through so we mentioned earlier that uh Quillerin has been reading shakespeare to the cats mm-hmm. as well as polly <laughs> they've been reading mm-hmm. them together so we're kind of led to believe that Coco knows the plot of Hamlet and has seen it unfolding and from the beginning keeps pushing it off the shelf because he noticed the trends and the similarities and is like, hey, check this out because like, if you follow this, you'll find out who the killer is. And also one of my other favorite moments, which we kind of touched on earlier, we're also supposed to suspect that Coco could connect the fact that Mrs. Cobb's herb garden was given to her by Herb and mm-hmm. potentially also knows language enough to know that those names are connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, right, back to the whole theme of, like, Quillerin is kind of kicking himself for, like, not listening to his cats, not, like, communicating well enough with them. And it's kind of like, oh, I should have, you know, seen the signs. I should have known because they're so smart slash smarter than me. <laughs> oh, Coco. Oh, Coco. I guess we don't know in this what Yum Yum likes to read. Probably more fun things than Shakespeare, I would assume. Not that Shakespeare isn't fun, but 
I mean, sometimes it's not. I mean, for a cat, it might be. They don't really have anything else going on in their lives. That's true, but that is by choice, I feel like. I feel like they like to keep things at a minimum. Yeah, that's true. Which I do appreciate about them. Me too. So that was the cat who knew Shakespeare. Um, and I think it is, has become abundantly clear that the cat definitely knew Shakespeare better than we did mm-hmm. and definitely better than Quillerin did mm-hmm. um, and possibly anyone else within that story. Um, so we are moving on from the cat who knew Shakespeare to next week. We will talk about the cat who talked to ghosts, um, yeah. which I have a little blurb here for you to get your little, your interest peaked, your uh, whiskers, whiskers fluffing, which actually Next week we should talk about, I have a theory about Quillerin's mustache and uh, how it oh, relates yes. to the cats. But I'm going to see mm-hmm. how that plays out in The Cat Who Talked okay. to Ghosts. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Time for my dramatic reading. Yes. The Cat Who Talked to Ghosts. When Mrs. Cobb heard unearthly noises in the antique-filled farmhouse, she called Jim Quillerin for help. But he was too late. It looked <gasps> as if his kindly ex-housekeeper had been frightened to death. Which, that is sad. Sorry, this is interjecting. But now that we've gotten so close to Mrs. Cobb. I know. It is clear in this that she is that she is the one who dies and we have to solve her mysterious death. Mm-hmm. It looks as if his kindly ex-housekeeper has been frightened to death. But by whom or what? Now Quillerin's moved into the historic farmhouse with his two cat companions. And Coco the Siamese is spooked. Is it a figment of feline imagination or the clue to a murder in Moose County? And does Quillerin have a ghost of a chance of solving this haunted mystery? Oh, no. Oh, man. I just love the pun so much. So we'll read that for next week. And I will have a doozy in editing this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, this is a long one. This is a long one. Probably because we were so confused about it the whole time it's true (laughs) well i think that's it is there anything else we should say this is paranormal captivity thank you for tuning in um we'll be back next week yeah and goodbye fellow cat mystery people (laughs) (laughs) fellow feline mystery connoisseurs yes the feline mystery connoisseurs (laughs) (laughs) oh god okay bye